welcome to the second ever episode of the Humility and Arrogance podcast. I am one half of your hosts, Tony Beard, and I am joined, as always, by... I don't want to say the better half, but the other half, Will Verdon. I don't want to say the better half either, so I think you did well. I'm still trying to figure out who's the arrogant one and who's the humble one. It varies from episode to episode, man, so... I think the last time I was a little more arrogant, maybe I will strive for humility today. It's always good to strive for that, brother. So what do we got going on today, brother? I know we got some good topics, but before we jump into that, I would love to know what are you currently reading? What What is taking up your time as far as what books you're, you're going through? Well, I've always got a few books going on, but the one um, especially... Uh, into right now is called Spiritual Warfare in the Storyline of Scripture. It's from B&H Academic, and the authors are uh, William Cook and Chuck Lawless. They're both, uh, I believe, faculty members at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, for me, you know, I think maybe you can disagree with me on this if you want, but I think sometimes in the Reformed movement, we overlook spiritual warfare. I think sometimes we relegate the idea of spiritual warfare being among those who uh, wave flags and blow shofars. Hmm. Uh, and I don't think that's actually a fair assessment. I think you know, uh, reform theology, although sometimes we may overlook it, it's certainly not something that's inconsistent. Uh, with scripture. We, we're, it's very clear that spiritual warfare is something uh, going on. And what this book does, what this book does is uh, uh, one uh, one writer, William Cook, he takes probably the first two thirds of the book and assesses the, the times in scripture where uh, either Satan is present or there's demonic forces going on and kind of gives it context, what's going on. And then the final third is more of an application. How do we combat spiritual warfare? How do we stand up against it? You know, through prayer, uh, certainly, uh, but in general, kind of the application aspect of it. So, uh, I'm finishing up. As I said, the the first part of it is taking a look at scripture, where uh, spiritual warfare takes place, and I'm just about through the Pauline epistles. Um, so I should be. I probably have about a hundred pages to go in that first section. And then that final section, uh, there's about 100 pages there as well. So I'm about a third of the way through it. That sounds great, brother. That might be another episode. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think you're right. I think we we certainly do see a consistent theme throughout Scripture of this spiritual attack. I will also say, I'll push back a little bit, and, and I think it might be a fair assessment that within the Reformed camp that maybe we don't give as much credence to spiritual warfare I'll also say maybe this is because the pendulum has swung too far to the other side at times where everyone thinks that their struggle with sin is because they're being tempted by Satan. And, and here's my quick 30 second uh, rebuke to that. Satan's one person. He's one fallen angel. Um, he can't be inflicting you and me at the same time. He can't be everywhere at once. He can't be in India at the same time he's in America. I certainly think that uh, there are uh, uh, there are aspects that he influences throughout our society. But look, man, I don't need an excuse. I don't need Satan to come and convict me of sin. My my flesh is weak enough. 
uh, we have to put our flesh to death. And so, you know, I think so often we say, well, you know, I'm tempted because Satan made me do it. Well, again, Satan can't be everywhere at one time. He's not God. He's one being. And so he's a created being. Like we're going to be talking about this this time about uh, man being a created being, what that means. Well, again, Satan's only one created being. Uh, I do believe spiritual warfare is, is real, but I also think uh, we have to look at it uh, well within the, the realms of scripture and understand that uh, Satan, we often give him more credit than he really is due when it really comes down to our own sinful nature. But I'll, I'll say more yeah. for next time when we talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so I think maybe what you're saying can almost be summarized by a meme I saw recently, which is everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is you're dumb and you make bad choices. Hmm. <laughs> I would say that's fair, brother. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, what, are, what about you, man? What, are, what have you been reading lately? Yeah. So I picked up just a really easy book. It's called Name Above All Names. It's by uh, the Scotsman, Begg, uh, Alistair Begg and Sinclair Ferguson. Great book. Very easy. Now, I got to stop you right there really quick. Really quick. I got to stop you. You said it's written by Begg and Ferguson. So when you are reading it, are you reading it with a Scottish accent in your bread, in your head? Because every time I read Begg, I read it in his voice. Oh, definitely. Definitely. The, the problem is I can't speak in any other accent. Um, so I'm not sure. It sounds much cooler in my mind than probably me saying it out in reality. But it's a great book. It goes oh, through all the, all the names of Christ. Uh, Christ as prophet, uh, Christ as king, uh, Christ as Lord, the son of man. So just a really easy book, great reminders. Uh, but again, I, I love how these two men write. And uh, it's a great, great encouraging book. So highly recommend it. Great. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, brother. So I know the main topic we want to talk about today uh, is church and manhood. And I know that we've discussed uh, it's a big theme. So we want to break it up into a three-part series. And today we wanted to focus more on you know, what does it mean to be created in the image of, of God, um, the role of, of man, and, uh, and, and what is our responsibility. Uh, and then we're going to continue this theme over the next uh, two or three sessions. So uh, my question to you, brother, uh, the first question, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Yeah, so we're talking about the Imago Dei here, right? The image of God. So I'm going to ask you uh, an important question here because I don't know how you feel about this. Are you okay if I quote from the Baptist, Second Londonary Baptist Confession of Faith from 1689? Are you okay with that? Brother, let me say, when my daughter, first girl, was born, uh, I would put her to sleep and I would read to her the 1689 Baptist Confession of, of Faith. So I'm not quite sure if the material itself put her to sleep or just my voice, but regardless, I have very fond moments of reading the Baptist Confession of Faith and holding my daughter and putting her to sleep at the same time. So so please bring back some of those memories. I'd love to hear, hear you read some of them. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And I just want to point out, I think I said second Londonderry. Uh, for those of us who are from central Pennsylvania, we know of Londonderry Township. So uh, obviously it meant second London. But yeah, so from uh, section four on creation, uh, we have point two here. And, and it reads, after God 
had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasoning and immortal souls, rendering them fit to live that life for him for, for which they were created. Being made in the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts and having the power to fulfill it, and yet living under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. Thoughts on that, on the image of God, how we were created. That's deep. No, again, I, I love that just uh, reminder. I love just how succinct that, that is. Now, the problem is when we talk about the image of God, it, it is a big concept. It can go many different directions. And we can, we can talk about uh, the ontological argument. We can uh, understand, you know, what is our role now uh, as creating the image of God? Uh, certainly, we see just a very small picture in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 about uh, God's command, right, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth as vice regents. But we see this thread throughout scripture of what it means to be created uh, in the image of, of God and what is our role now as, as image bearers. So I guess that, you know, that's where I would go. What are some of the distinct characteristics of being created in the image of God? And then, therefore, Tony, what, what is our role? What is our responsibility as vice regents, as being created in the image of God. Well, uh, are you okay if I continue on with old uh, confessions and catechisms? Bring it on, brother. All right, so now I am uh, jumping to the Westminster uh, larger catechism. And the question is, what was the providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created? And the answer, the providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created was the placing him in paradise, appointing him to dress it, giving him liberty to eat of the fruit of the earth, putting the creatures under his dominion and ordaining marriage for his help, affording him communion with himself, instituting the Sabbath, entering into a covenant of life with him, upon condition of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, of which the tree of life was a pledge, and forbidding to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. So it seems that God has created us and is giving us tasks. So even before the fall, we have been given work to do. It seems good work. We've been given help for that. We've given a mandate to put uh, creatures under our dominion, to care for the earth and you know, we've been given marriage you know the call to be fruitful and multiply we've been given communion with god so it seems like we've been given a lot to do even before even before the fall we sometimes think that work uh is just simply drudgery as a, a result of the fall result of sin but there seems to be good work to do for god even before even before um, the fall. Yeah, great point, brother. We often think that, uh, you know, the the work itself uh, is 
is part of uh, the fall, but it's not. Work itself literally became uh, a way that we delight in God, a way that we are image bearers is our ability to work and our responsibility to work. Um, in the book, uh, Richard Phillips wrote uh, called The Masculine Mandate. Um, he really makes that distinction. Uh, he actually uh, has under the section, are we glorified gardeners? And, and we're not, um, you know, we're not fully um, made in the image of God just because we can go out and, and till the ground and grow some plants. I don't know about you, brother, but I have no green thumb whatsoever. So if the mandate was for me to grow something. Uh, I, I would be a very poor image bearer for God. But it really means that we work in whatever field God has given us. Uh, he writes, according to the Bible, this kind of work describes one or two main planks in man's calling. Not that men are literally to work as gardeners. Men are to be planters, builders, and growers. A man's working life is to be spent accomplishing things, usually a part of a company or other grouping of people. We are to invest our time, our energies, our ideas, and our passions in bringing good things into being. A faithful man, he writes, then is one who has devoted himself to cultivating, building, and growing. And we know we are commanded to, to do all those things as, as image bearers, as created in the image of God. Uh, we are called to uh, build, to cultivate. And again, that doesn't mean uh, necessarily physically by planting, but in relationships, in subduing the earth and in, in, in being faithful in whatever uh, line of work or profession God has given us. But specifically, I would say uh, within the church, uh, within the church, we are to be faithful in cultivating those relationships. What are your thoughts, brother? Yeah. No, I, I think I agree with everything you, you say there. Um, you know, I, I think there's certainly, uh, you know, sometimes we we forget the warnings uh, about laziness in Scripture. I think of, you know, uh, was that Proverbs where, um, you know, the fool says that there's a lion, there's a tiger outside, like just coming up with random excuses. Uh, you know, there's also about the sluggard not being able to lift his hand from the bowl to feed himself. So these are warnings against idleness, against laziness. Um, I can't remember if it's First or Second Thessalonians where Paul's writing, and 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 you know, those who are unwilling to work do not eat. Uh, it, clearly, we have been given the task to work, and and uh, you know, of course, there's 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 those who are uh, unable to work uh, uh, from disease or illness or injuries. And we, I think we want to acknowledge that, that that's, you know, uh, part, unfortunately, part of the fall, that there are some who are unable to fulfill that responsibility. But otherwise, um, you know, uh, you and I, we might not want to admit it, uh, but we are millennials and our, our generation has gotten that rap of being lazy. Uh, from time to time. And, and I don't think that's necessarily entirely true. I think every generation gets its, um, uh, you know, gets um, just the stereotypes. And I think that's the one that we kind of got saddled with. Mm. But, but, um, you know, the idea of laziness and idleness certainly is against Scripture. God's giving us work to do. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point that you made, Tony. And and we need to be very careful when we talk about being image bearers of God and having a component of work attached to that, because that's not the essence, right? That that's not the mm-hmm. primary way that we are creating the image of God. Certainly, that's an outworking of being created the image of God. You know, the Hebrew word for image is is really talking about something that is carved out of. Uh, John Calvin actually explains that man's rem, uh, resemblance, uh, a man resembles him, that is God, that in him, God's glory is contemplated as in a mirror. So that's the idea. It's not a, a, an aspect of his ability to work or subdue the earth. Now, historically, uh, historical theology would focus on man's ability to be a superior creature over all the other creatures, uh, right? But uh, again, we at, at its common core, the, the common base foundational level, what it means to be made in the image of God is really, again, this idea of being carved out of. But we also see that uh, it's used again in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, the same word, when Adam's had a, Adam had a son, he fathered a son in his own image, we read, after his image, he bore uh, Seth. And so again, that idea of image is again reiterated there in chapter 5 of Genesis, that it really is a distinct image, right? Seth, when he was born, could not do anything. He was helpless. But yet, uh, we read that he was born in a similar image as Adam. And so in the same way, uh, we are created in the image of God with or without ability to cultivate the earth, uh, without the ability to, to work. Uh, but we are created with value and self-worth merely because we are uh, image bearers, not because of what we can offer and do. Let me ask you this. Uh, so we read from the 1689 just a moment ago, and one of the things it mentioned was that we were being made in the image of God in knowledge. How how has man been created in the image of God as it relates to knowledge? Hmm. Well, I think one thing we see is the obtaining of knowledge is actually... Um, a way that we have been created that's actually glorifying God. We actually read that Jesus learned and grew in knowledge, right? And so uh, at the human level, I think that's that's something that's distinctive for us humans that um, that is unique to God. God certainly doesn't need to learn anything. Uh, but I think one way that we are created the image of God and that it's a it's a uh, glorifying endeavor is to learn more about God, right? The uh, the Westminster Catechism, of course, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Well, one way that we we glorify God and enjoy him is to learn more about God. And I, I've always been a strong believer that right theology leads to right doxology. I mean, the more that I learn of God, the more I understand theologically uh, of, of who God is and what he has done for me, the more I I worship him in doxology, the more I I praise and glorify him. Uh, And so, you know, as we grow in our knowledge of God, that then should lead us to worshiping him more faithfully. What are your thoughts? That's good. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, uh, Jesus himself growing in knowledge. I mean, yeah, he's, I think if that's uh, an example 
um, for us to follow. I mean, certainly uh, we can pursue that as well. And certainly we'll never know as much as God, but he has given us the ability to certainly know scripture, know truth, know his creation better and better. Uh, and I, uh, you know, maybe sometime we talk about, you know, I, I'm into political theory and stuff like that. I mean, this idea that, um, you know, he's given us reason uh, and certainly our reason is nothing compared to God's, but he's certainly give us, given us the ability to be rational beings. Um, you know, we, we uh, touch the hot stove mm-hmm. as a four-year-old because it's glowing red and we just want to see what it feels like. And we burn our fingers and we learn from that. And sure, uh, you know, a, a cat could learn that kind of thing. But for us as a four-year-old, that's just the start of it. We begin reasoning and making sense of the world. And um, we know that some causes have uh, uh, the, or some actions have these reactions. And we start, again, forming, okay, this is how the world works. This is how God has put things together. Um, so certainly, I think growing in knowledge, I think he, God's given us that ability in his image to uh, make sense of mm. his creation. Yeah, great point, Tony. And I'm going to drop something pretty heavy on you. All right, brother. I think we often forget that Christ came not only to remedy our standing with God. Christ didn't just come to restore our relationship with God, but he also came to restore God's image within us, to restore God's mm-hmm. image within us through sanctification, right? I mean, that's that's what we read in Ephesians 4, that renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. And so, again, we Would have you to, say then, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. Well, no, I'm just, I, I think we see that echoed again throughout, uh, throughout Scripture, this idea of continually learning more of God and our minds being sanctified to the image of Christ, to be more. And, and as we know, right, brother, as, as we are more sanctified, we're actually creating, creating more in the image of God, right? Because the more that we are conforming our life to the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, we're actually restoring God's image within us to being more of a perfect image bearer of God. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, where, uh, kind of, I guess, same, same direction you're about to go there. Uh, does the Holy Spirit bring us closer to the image of God? And, and here, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So the Holy Spirit is furthering us in that knowledge. And I would, I would say, as we're talking here, I haven't really thought of this before, in many ways, as we receive the Holy Spirit, our image, our likeness towards uh, uh, God in that initial creation, uh, not fully restored this side of heaven, but we're growing closer towards that. Amen, brother. I would go uh, just to uh, the next cha- the next uh, book over to Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen. We read this: We all 
with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And I would agree with you that this side of heaven, we would never fully um, be perfect image bearers of God, but we become more and more and more through sanctification, better image bearers of God. The more we're sanctified, the better image bearers of God we are. Yeah, I think we're having a good conversation here. You know, we're talking about church and manhood. We're laying the groundwork by discussing the Imago Dei. And because our future conversations are going to be based a little bit on the difference between men and women, let me ask you this question and like to hear you back it up, back up your answer. Uh, we're saying man is, is created in the image of God. Does that include woman? Definitely, brother. In fact, uh, um, one would put it that God created man and then he said, I'll do one better and create woman. <laughs> oh man! Um, <laughs> yeah, of, of course, of course. I, I, of course, God, God has created woman in His image as well, and you know, we're we're going to be getting into some of the differences as far as roles and everything in future episode. But um, I think what we're talking about here, not to NIV it and say man and woman every single time we mention the the, the word God, but. Uh, you know, certainly God has created woman in his image. We're talking about, you know, uh, in, in knowledge and righteousness and true holiness, uh, as the, the 1689 mentions. Um, certainly that applies to, um, you know, our female counterparts just as much as us males. We would say that they have both value and dignity, equal value and dignity as being created in the image of God. Certainly, as you said, which we'll talk about later, they have uh, unique roles um, that are God-ordained, but they have equal value and dignity. All right, well, I think we've done a pretty good job laying a, a foundation here for, for our next few episodes. Uh, did you have anything to add to this conversation uh, that we've been having today? Brother, there's there's so much within this topic, which I, I'm glad we're splitting it up to be able to cover over a, a period of, of sessions, because, again, we, we are we're not even in the weeds yet. Um, we are we're only skimming the surface of what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, so, again, I just appreciate the conversation. There's a lot we can go uh, go down and I'm excited about continuing this conversation with you, brother. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, our future conversations of complementarianism and egalitarianism because, you know, uh, that topic isn't controversial at all and has had nothing to do with any split or animosity within the church in the history of the church. I mean, right? Sure, brother. No, I, I do sense a uh, degree of um, <laughs> sarcasm there. Um, yeah, there's yeah, the I mean, arrogance, right? But but certainly, I think specifically what's going on now in the Southern Baptists and certainly in other denominations, it's an important topic to get right and discuss. Um, and so I, I'm excited about talking about that topic next week or next time that we, we meet. Uh, but again, I, to your point, we're not going to be discussing that and, and uh, expect uh, to get everything perfect, but I think biblically we can really examine the unique roles between men and women 
uh, which I'll look forward to to discussing more in depth with you. Absolutely. Well, uh, well, if that's everything for today, uh, I appreciate spending some time with you this afternoon. Uh, I want to thank our listeners. That might be presumptuous of me to use the plural of the word listener, but just in case there are multiple folks out there, uh, we thank you all. Uh, let's see, we are up to, we're on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Pocket Casts, and Google Podcasts. I think we're still working on a few more. Uh, so we encourage anyone to download and share uh, our podcasts. Uh, certainly, if the app you use allows you to rate us, uh, we would appreciate any five-star ratings. If you have a one-star rating, you know what? You can just keep your opinion to yourself. That's totally fine. Uh, we appreciate you, but you can keep that opinion to yourself. We do have a Facebook page. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash humility arrogance. No uh, and in between. I was trying to keep it nice and short. So you can find us at facebook.com slash humility arrogance, uh, working on uh, Twitter and stuff. Maybe we'll do Instagram. That's probably unnecessary, but uh, we do have some social media out there that we're developing. So go ahead and give our page a like and follow. Did I tell you I just got yep. I just got social media. I, I just got Instagram. Yeah, I finally really? got it. Yeah, yeah. I put my grandmother on speed dial. That's what I call Instagram. You know, this was a good episode. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, this is yet? Tony. <laughs> what? Do we have any merchandise to sell yet? I don't know. Did you uh, finish knitting any scarves for us? I was going to get a, a, your face on a T-shirt. I thought that would be a hot seller. To, to be continued. Yeah, sure. We'll, we'll look into that. But anyways, I, I appreciate you, brother, even despite your terrible jokes. Uh, I love you and um, uh, look forward to our next conversation. You have a, a good week or two until we talk again. Thanks. You too, brother. Bye.